He understood that we ought to pray without ceasing. Then again, last week we learned about answered prayer. We should have come away with this knowledge that our obedience that drives our answered prayer is the result of our communion, the result of our fellowship, and the result of us abiding in Christ. Not because we uh, keep and fulfill a certain list of do's and don'ts and, and things like that, but because we are being obedient uh, to him and we are communing with him, having fellowship with him, and abiding in Jesus Christ. Today I want to, us to look at this thought of the power of prayer, the power of prayer. I believe the key to getting our prayers answered is found in this passage of Scripture and it involves this word, believing. So let's stand as we give respect to the reading of God's word. We'll read uh, just one verse, Matthew chapter 21 and verse number uh, 22. Notice what the Bible said in Matthew 21 and verse number 22. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Let's read it again. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we could be here this morning, and we thank you for these people that have gathered together for the, the preaching and teaching of your word, Father, and now we come to the most solemn part of all the service, Father, and that is the preaching of your word. So, Father, I pray as we look at this thought, as we would think about uh, this particular passage of scripture as father we mend our hearts and our minds together god i pray that you'll just work deep inside the hearts of each believer that's gathered here today father i pray that for those who are here today who might have never received jesus christ as their own personal savior May the same Holy Spirit of God that lives and dwells inside each believer convict uh, that sinner, Father, of their sinfulness, of their unrighteousness, and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if they would just put their faith and trust in what Christ has done for them on the cross of Calvary, Father, they could become a born-again child of God. So, Father, then they could truly make this passage uh, come from their heart, believing, Father, their prayers would be answered. So, Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for your goodness. And, Lord, we pray for the other ministries going on at this time. Lord, would you be a help uh, to those teachers uh, giving the lessons this morning. May you give them fruit for their labors, Father. May someone be born into the failing of God this morning. And then, Father, for those who are saved, even those little children, Father, I pray that they'll draw even closer to Christ than they were before they came in the building this morning. So, so, Father, when everything's said and done this morning, we'll be careful to give you praise and honor and glory, for you deserve it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 6 where the Bible says, For without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I think one of the keys uh, 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 to faith is faithfulness, number one, to God's house. And then God's house is where we hear God's word, it's preached, and it's taught. And I think this is magnified in Romans 10 and verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I think if you want to have your faith built up, understand this, I think it's vitally important for every person that's been born again, uh, saved by God's wonderful and matchless and marvelous grace, to be a regular attendance at a fundamental independent Baptist church preaching the gospel. 
gospel. And I think that that means this, that if you're able to and you're not uh, provincially hindered, you're not at work or you're not at the hospital, you're not sick, that means that you ought to be here for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and including Wednesdays as well. But what can we expect from God as we pray, as this Bible verse says, believing? I believe that we can expect to see this. I believe that we can expect to see the reality of God working deep inside of each of our lives. That word power is found 272 different times in the Bible and is used in several uh, different ways. But in general, that word power means this, the ability to do something. And it also includes the idea of adequate strength, might, skill, resources, and energy, and efficiency, either material, mental, spiritual, to affect the intended results. Strictly speaking, we need to understand this morning that there is no real power, there is no authority in the, in the universe except that which is ultimately comes from God the Father. And that's the reason why you and I need to be involved in this matter of prayer. If we're going to influence something or influence someone, it must be God who is ultimately doing the influencing. Because you see, when we try to influence someone, all we do is speak words. But when God does it, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, he grabs a hold of their heart and begins to do a deep work inside of him. There used to be a radio broadcast many years ago that was entitled the Southwest Radio Church. And it always started with this one particular phrase. And this is what that phrase said. God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Somebody say amen, glory, hallelujah. I believe that statement uh, to be true with all my heart and I trust that you do as well. Well, first of all, when we pray believing, we can see God's power, number one, to do this. And that is to save. You see, we live in a day and age today that it's hard to, to get people to see their sinful conditions, whether it's for salvation or after you're saved, this idea of sanctification or growing to be more like Jesus Christ. And the day and age we live in, people don't want to hear about their sinfulness. Christians oftentimes don't want to hear about their sinfulness and their need to be sanctified or set apart from the world, but unto God the Father in heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ that they might ultimately be what God would have have them to be. Back in the late 70s and early 80s, some of you, uh, I didn't have the privilege of being saved during this era, but many of you were. If you were to think back, there's a great revival going on among independent Baptist churches and Baptist people. Do you ever wonder why we don't see that revival today? You think back and, boy, churches were booming, bus ministries were booming, and they were building buildings. We couldn't even fit enough people in. And why don't we see that same thing happening today here at Sharon Baptist Church in Hampton, Virginia? and the state of Virginia, nay, even in the United States of America. I tell you why, because there is no fear of God. In Romans 3, in verse 18, the Bible says, there is no fear of God uh, before their eyes. You see, we need to pray believing, exercising the power of prayer uh, that comes from God that, that will save someone from hell. I think we need to literally pray the fear of the Lord into some people. In Matthew 10 and verse 28, the Bible says, "...to fear then not which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell." 
Then the psalmist writes in the 36th Psalm, in the first verse, he says this, uh, that transgressions of the wicked say within my heart that there is no fear of God before their eyes. Listen, it's no different today as it was in the psalmist David's day. There was no fear for God. In Jude 23, we find these words, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted uh, by the flesh. I think what we need to do is get back to some good old-fashioned red-hot red hot preaching on hell, preaching hell hot and eternity long, my friend. We've gotten a, away from this day and age. We want to make everyone feel good when you come to church. Listen, I don't come to church to feel good. If I want to feel good, I'll turn to the Word of God. I want God's man to stand and open up God's Word, and I want him to say, Thus saith the Lord God Almighty. I want him to point his bony finger, even if it points at me as the Holy Spirit of God speaks to my heart. Listen, I'd rather come away a repentant, a repentant Christian than one that comes away just feeling all good and mighty about myself. When I understand this, that after I leave this door, after the last worship song is sung, after the invitation is given, I walk away and I realize who I really am and I still need to make some changes deep in my life. One day a preacher asked his congregation, how many of you want to go to heaven? Please stand up. Well, guess what? Everyone stood in the whole auditorium. Those that were saved, those that were lost, because I pretty much believe that if you have a choice of heaven or hell or heaven or just being laid out in the ground, annihilation, uh, listen, you're going to choose heaven because you hear the good things about heaven. So everyone in church uh, stood up. The pastor said, thank you so very much for your honesty. Please be seated. Now, how, how many of you, would like to go to hell please stand up well he looked around to the left and to the right not one person uh, stood up not one person moved finally there was a gentleman in the back of the church he stood up and the pastor looked at him in just great surprise and said sir do you want to go to hell he said well no not really but I hated to see you standing there all alone all by yourself amen you can rest assured that I don't have a desire to go to hell I'm saved and born again. Listen, if I wanted to go to hell, I could not go to hell because Jesus Christ paid my sin debt on the cross of Calvary, my friend. I couldn't go there if I wanted to go there. I am heaven-bound and shunning hell. I'm reminded of Dr. Oliver B. Green's testimony of how uh, he would come home in a drunken stupor and he was living at home with his mother and his mother would be praying for him as he would go out and, and, and partake of the worldly events and the worldly things and he'd come back home and his mother late into the night, his mother would be praying on her knees in her bedroom, crying out to God for his salvation. He became under conviction about his, about his need to be saved and he was gloriously saved and he ended up being one of the greatest expositors of his day i thank god for someone who cared enough to, to pray for a lost soul to be saved you know that god desires for the entire family to be saved not just our immediate family but our extended family and, and our loved ones and our acquaintances he desires for all to be saved i think about the philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16 and verse 31 and they said believe on the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house and then making reference to Lydia in Acts 16 and verse 15 the Bible says this and when she was baptized and her household the Bible says she besought us therefore saying if you have judged me faithful to the Lord 
come in my house and abide there, and she constrained us. I want you to understand that God desires not only for you to be saved, but for your husband, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors. He desires for all of your family to be saved. You see, believing prayer has the power to see our loved ones saved. I've seen it work in my family. My brother is sitting here right now. My sister is sitting at a church up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, or Duncan, Pennsylvania, prayerfully with some of her siblings, I mean her children. I've seen the power of prayer work in my family. Diana has seen the power of prayer for God for saving some family members of her. Thank God for that. Now, uh, her immediate family is saved. There's still some work to be done, and God, God has to work in the hearts of some outside uh, distant cousins and aunts and uncles that need to trust in Christ. Listen, but you have seen the power of God and this matter of salvation working inside the lives and hearts of your loved ones as well. You say, well, well, why is there power in prayer to save? Because Peter writes in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his, get this word, promise as some men count slackness but is long-suffering toward usward not willing that any should perish but that all should come unto repentance you see god has a great desire particularly for those that you're acquainted with out even outside of uh, the whole world that they all might be saved we need to pray believing exercising that power that comes from god to save those uh, from hell but then notice something else we see that God will save someone not only from hell, but also from their circumstances. Turn in your Bibles. We're going to be there for just a moment or two to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter number 14. I'll give you a minute, a second or two to get there. 2 Chronicles chapter number 14. We're going to be reading in verse number 11, 2 Chronicles 14. In verse number 11, it's in the Old Testament, somewhere near the front left of your Bible. The Bible said in 2 Chronicles, verse 14, beginning of verse number 11, And Asa cried unto the Lord his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God. For we rest in thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail, uh, prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. I want you to notice four things about this passage that shows us that we can see manifested this power of prayer. Notice, first of all, that we need to recognize our inability. If we are going to have this same kind of power in our lives and prayer, that God will save someone from their circumstances, we're going to have to recognize our own inability. You know, outside of the power that is made available to us from God. You see, that's what it's about. There is no power in the world. Only power we have comes from God. Notice what he says. Asa cried unto the Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God. You know, we think about King Asa here. 
and we think about ourselves. Until we see ourselves this way, we're not going to need God. We have to understand that we cannot accomplish anything. We have no power, no ability apart from God. And because we don't recognize our in- inability, we don't pray or we pray very little. My friend, you need to understand that it's not about you, it's about him. It's not because of what you do, it's because of what he does for you and I. And when we pray believing, we're exercising the power of God that is made available to us. I think of Matthew 28 and verse number 18, where the Bible says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying this, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Listen again, we have no power apart from the power that comes from the power of prayer through God and his Son, Jesus Christ. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 12 in verses 9 and 10. And he, speaking about Jesus, said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, why glory in my infirmities. And notice these next couple of words Paul writes about. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities, in reproach, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My friend, we need to recognize our inability. You want to experience the power of prayer as Asa did? You need to understand that it's not about you. It's not about what you can do. It's not about what you can muster up. It's about what God will do in and through you. Not only do we need to recognize our inability, but notice something else. We need to rest in God. Notice what it said. Or we rest on thee. You know, we must never panic in this life. We must learn to rest or wait upon God. There's nothing that you can do to change the circumstances or the situations that you're in. Remember this, that, that God is the controller of us, amen? He allowed you to get into that particular situation and circumstances, and so understand this, there's nothing you can do to change that. You're already there. You're already smack right dab in the middle of it. Asa said, God, there's nothing that we can do. We have to, get these words, rest in you. That word rest literally means this, to lean upon. It means to trust. Speaking figuratively here, it means to trust in God. Asa said, God, listen, the enemy is coming about to get us. And, and I, I, as I look through this passage of Scripture, I thought about this. This is like one of those 911 prayers that we, that we lift up to God on an emergency kind of basis. That's what Asa's doing. He said, God, the enemy is coming around. He said, God, there's nothing that I can do. I have no ability. Our army is too small their army's too big he said god we're resting trusting in you the psalmist said in psalm 27 in verse 13 and 14 i had faded unless i believed to see the goodness of the lord and the land of the living wait upon the lord be of good courage he shall strengthen thine heart wait i say on the lord Here's our problem. We'll say that we'll wait, but we don't like to wait. Nobody likes to wait. We had to wait in a Walmart line just yesterday for maybe five, ten minutes. I don't know exactly. We weren't keeping track of it. But listen, I didn't like to wait. It was a feel like it was a waste in time. But God says, listen, it's not your ability, it's my ability. And he said, I put you there. He says, wait on me. 
I like what Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Again, wait upon the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you're tired and you're weary. The battle seems raging all around you. You know what? Maybe you just need to pray some more. Maybe you just need to wait upon him. Maybe you need to lean on him. Maybe you need to fully, unconditionally trust in him. Even in our fear, we can trust him. That's what the king did. Well, Jehoshaphat's prayer was answered in fear. Look uh, um, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. In verse number 1, we find another king who, who uh, had a prayer that was answered even in his fear. Second Chronicles 20 in verse number 1. The Bible said, It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other besides the Ammonites came up against Jehoshaphat to battle. So first we had Asa praying in fear, and now we have King Jehoshaphat coming to God in prayer. In 2 Chronicles 20, in verse number 3, the Bible said, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. In other words, the Bible says that he was waiting upon the Lord. And look what he did while he set himself to follow God as he waited on God. The Bible said he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. But then notice in verse number 17 of that chapter, we find God hearing and God answering that prayer. He said, you shall not need to fight in this battle. Again, notice these words. He says, set yourself. He says, stand ye still and see the salvation, or we could say the deliverance of the Lord. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go ye out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Notice the formula in here. That God says to set yourself. He says stand. He says see the salvation or see the deliverance. Listen, it's, it's a time uh, and true process that if we'll follow the way the Bible tells us to do it, listen, my friend, we can be like King Asa and have victory in our prayer. God will meet the need as he did for King Joseph. Jehoshaphat as well. Well, we need to recognize our inability, but notice something else. Not only do we rest in God, but then we need to respond in faith. Respond in faith. Notice uh, back, uh, back to uh, our text, and it says, and in thy name. So we think about responding in faith. How do we do that? How do we respond in faith? We do that by expressing faith in Him, <laughs> trusting Him, resting in Him, believing in Him, as our text verse uh, said uh, a few moments ago, encouraging and getting our strength from Him and not ourselves. You see, we're not to go forth in our own name, and not to go forth in our own power, but to go forth in God's power and by His name and by His strength. You see, praying in God's name is a statement of faith. Now, Jesus said in John 14, verse number 14, If ye shall ask anything, now get these words, in my name, I will do it. You see, those words, in my name, is not some kind of Aladdin's lamp to get our prayer answered. 
Oftentimes you hear uh, people uh, pray some wild, fantastic prayer. Then they say, oh, in Jesus' name I pray. As if that's, you're rubbing Aladdin's lamp and get the genie going. Listen, uh, we ought to pray in the name of Jesus Christ. But that's not the magic genie, that, the cloth that rubs the oil lamp. It's not that at all. It's not a tagline that we put on our prayers to ensure that God will hear and God will answer our prayers as well. When we say those words in my name, it signifies both an endorsement, like when you sign a check, that's an endorsement. It signifies a limitation. Our request must be in accordance with the character of the name that we're requesting. And so we could say this, we're coming to God in Jesus' name, not in our own name. And it also assumes that you know what he is going to ask for, amen? That's the key uh, to answer prayer. Respond in faith. But then notice something else. We find that we ought to have the right motive. And the right motive is simply this. For God's honor and for your glory. It's not to uplift you. It's not to provide for you. Ultimately, God may or may not do that. But it's for his honor and for his glory. You want to get your prayers answered? Come before God and say, God, for your honor and for your glory, would you answer this prayer? King Asa said in these words, he said, let not man prevail against thee. He said, God, he said, the enemy's coming. He said, and we are your children. He said, don't let the wicked world prevail against you. He recognized that this battle belonged to the Lord. It didn't really belong to him. And he called upon God to defend his righteous and holy honor. And he said, God, don't let men prevail against you. F.B. Myers rightly said this. He said, remind God of his entire responsibility. He said, remind God of his entire responsibility. And in verse 12, we find the results in 2 Chronicles 14 and verse 12, uh, when we do remind God of his entire responsibilities. And the Bible says, so the Lord smote the Ethiopians, Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. And the Bible said, and the Ethiopians fled. Believing prayer has the power to save. But not only does it have the power to save, it also, believing prayer has the power to subdue sicknesses. You know, in James chapter 5 and verses 14 and 15, we find a kind of a unique passage of Scripture. The Bible says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he had committed sins, they shall be, be forgiven. When I began to think about this passage in the book of James, I began to think about our prayer life in general as Christians. And I don't know about you, but I think probably 80 to 90% of all the praying and the prayer requests that we lift up to God has to do with people's health, our healing, our medical tests, our medical trials that are within our life. And I would say this, that the gift of healing on an individual basis is not for today. It was 
a signed gift, but today that is done away with. Now we have God's completed word, word of God. But as I say that, I'm speaking about faith healers, and I would say this as seen on TV. They would hold their hand up and go like this, and a swath of people would fall over. They would bring people uh, to the altar and, and come up to the platform, and they would stand out of wheelchairs, and they would throw their uh, crutches away. That's what I am speaking about. I still believe today that if you have a loved one, you have a need for yourself, that you ought to pray for your physical needs. You ought to pray for the physical needs and sicknesses of our loved ones and friends that we come in contact with. Listen, here's the truth. God doesn't have to, to come in the form of instantaneous healing. That's what we pray for. When we pray, we believe that. We pray, God, take away this sickness. And we oftentimes believe when we pray that, that God is somehow miraculously, not that he couldn't or choose to, whatever his will be, but we believe praying that, that God's going to instantaneously, miraculously take that away. But listen, healing may come in different forms. Healing may come in a speedy recovery time. Ordinarily, it might take four weeks, and God empowered you, and in a week and a half, you're doing your normal business. Maybe it's this, that you don't have any reoccurrences of cancer. That might be God's way of answering your prayer. Maybe there, you, as you go through this sickness, there'll be less pain and less suffering than other people that have had this same disease or the same problem that you have. Perhaps a, a greater awareness comes to ourselves when we understand that we have a responsibility of maintaining some good health habits inside of our own self. So how about this as well? Think about the ability that we have to comfort other people who are going through the same trial that we have. Found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 4. So God doesn't always answer healing in a way by an instantaneous, miraculous way. I also think of how God used Isaiah to answer the prayer of King Hezekiah, who was on his sickbed. And the Bible says this in Isaiah 38, in verses 1 and 2. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. How would you like that if you're not feeling well and you call for the pastor of the church to come and he comes in, knocks on the door, and you want him to have a word of prayer, anoint, be anointed with oil, and he points his fingers and he says this, Set your house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Boy, I think you'd say, get out, preacher, get out of this house. Can you imagine, can you imagine what King Hezekiah thought when he heard God's prophet Isaiah come and tell him that? But then notice what he did in verse 2. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord. You see, he already had a word from the Lord. He understood and he believed, no doubt, with all his heart and all his mind and all his soul that he was going to be with the Lord in very short time. But then in verse 5, notice uh, what God tells the preacher man. In Isaiah 38 and verse 5, he said, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, thy God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years. You see, God heard, God saw his tears, 
God heard his prayers, and he added unto him 15 years. You see, Hezekiah's prayer was very important. And by all indications, I believe this, if Hezekiah didn't turn towards that wall and didn't uplift his prayer to God, I believe this, that he wouldn't have had 15 years. God had already made the pronunciation that, listen, you are as good as a dead man. Set your house in order. Get your affairs together. But we find uh, that his life would not have been extended. I want you to understand this, that prayer really does matter. I think about John the Apostle as he writes to his brother Gaius. In 3 John 2 it says this, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. You know, some look at this verse and particularly a lot of the Pentecostal uh, 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 mindset. They look at this verse and they look at this verse and they're saying, Aha! God is guaranteeing us perpetual wealth and perfect health for the life of the Christian. I want you to understand and know that does not mean, that is not what this verse means. We need to remember that God has our best interest in mind. And God's plans are only good for us. He only has good plans for us. He has what's best for us. And oftentimes material prosperity and physical health are part of that good plan that God has for us. But sometimes God's going to use the lack of material prosperity and physical health to promote a greater prosperity and a greater health in the scale of eternity in our lives. Then there's some who live in poverty and some who live in disease and sickness because they don't seek the Lord's best in their life. They don't follow God's principles. They don't walk by faith and they're walking uh, by, by sight as well. And so I think as we think about healing and the power of prayer for healing, I think the greatest healing that could ever take place is when Jesus Christ healed our sin-sick soul. In Matthew 8 and verse 12, he says this, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You see, in this verse, Matthew sees that there's a partial fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter number 53. And it primarily refers to spiritual healing, but there's also definitely includes the physical infirmity and healings along that matter. You see, Matthew is showing Jesus as the true Messiah and that he delivered his people from their bondage of sin and the effects that it has on this fallen world. Thank God for that. Well, we can pray believing. We can see God's power to save, to subdue the sick. Then notice, uh, thirdly, to set the saints free. See, the believer has three enemies in this world. They have the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's our primary, uh, our primary enemies. Notice the power of the world. In John chapter 17, verses 14 and 15, we find this. Jesus said, I have given them thy word. And the world hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from evil. An unknown author said this, The world is the philosophies of man under the control of Satan. 
I'm going to read that again. The world is the philosophies of man under the control of Satan. You see, a sinful man and his ways are at enmity or have hatred to or in opposition against God. James 4.4, 4, this is clearly laid out for us. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. James teaches us that we cannot be friends with the world system and friends of God at the same time. We can't be like a two-headed coin, living on heads and living on tails. Jesus said in, in Matthew 6 and verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will also hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Even the desire to be a friend of the world makes you an enemy with God. But Christ has delivered us from the world. In Galatians 1 and verse 4, the Bible says, Who gave himself for our sins, that we might deliver us from the present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. I think our problem is this, that we'll continue to allow the world to influence us. And not allow the Holy Spirit to guide us away from those influences of the world. You see, the world system and its vain philosophies are controlled by Satan and they'll lead you to bondage. And notice, secondly, notice the power of the flesh. That's our old sinful nature. Notice the, the, the reason of it in Galatians 5 and verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. The apostle Paul is saying, listen, uh, in, uh, in another passage, he said, I want to do right. I desire to do right. But he said, I don't do what I want to do. And those things I do not want to do, he said, I end up doing them. He writes in Romans 8 and verse number 5, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Then he concludes it kind of in verse number 8. He says, so then they are in the flesh cannot please God. Understand this warning that you, being a born-again child of God, in your flesh cannot uh, please God. But then notice the remedy in Galatians 5 in verse number six, Paul, 16. Paul writes this. He says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's power in the flesh, but we have victory over that through prayer. And notice lastly, and then, we'll, then we'll be done. Notice the power of the world, the power of the flesh, and notice the power of Satan. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, we find these powerful words. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You see, Satan seeks to devour us in three different ways. First of all, as a subtle, a subtle serpent, as he did with Eve in the garden. He wants to beguile our senses. He wants to pervert our judgment. He wants to enchant our imaginations. Very subtly, he'll do that. Then sometimes he comes as an angel of light. And I believe that's what he did with the Church of Galatians. And we're preaching through that book on Sunday evenings. And he comes as an angel of light to deceive us with a false view of spiritual things. He wants us to make refinements in theology. He wants us to, uh, to not presume on the providence and the grace of God. 
Then he comes as a subtle serpent, as an angel of light, but then he also comes as a roaring lion. I believe this is what he did with the Apostle Paul. And he comes to bring us down. He comes to destroy us. He comes by violent opposition. Persecution will come our way. And sometimes even death. You get this. Although Satan does come and tries to devour our souls and to rob the Christians of our effectiveness, we are delivered from Satan. Do you remember Paul's testimony to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26? Let me remind you of it. He says, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith which is in me. You see, when we pray believing, we can see God's power to save people from hell, save people from their situation. He can subdue sickness and he can set uh, the saints free. Well, according to the Bible, the power of prayer is quite simply this. It's the power of God who hears and then answers our prayer. The psalmist said in Psalm 17, verse 6, I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ear unto me and hear my speech. And then in the 34th Psalm, in verse 17, the Bible says, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and get these next words, and delivereth them out of all their troubles you see the power of prayer doesn't flow from me the power of prayer doesn't flow from you it's not some special words that we say or or we say them repeatedly that's not where the power of prayer comes from the power of prayer isn't based on a certain direction that we face towards when we pray it's not even involving a certain position that we get into when we pray the power of prayer doesn't come from the use of artifacts icons candles or even beads that we roll through our hands the power of prayer comes from the omnipotent one who hears our prayers and answers them according to his will when we pray believing we'll see god's power to save and to subdue sickness to set the, the saints free matthew 21 and verse 22 says this and all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer believing ye shall receive may god bless the preaching and teaching of his word heavenly father we just come before you this morning we thank you father for the